Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded, a podcast all about creating visibility, paths for growth, and opportunity for entrepreneurs. We focus on those entrepreneurs who are statistically underrepresented in the startup ecosystem. Your hosts are Zena Island, president of X Plus PR, a media relations agency, angel investor Aurelia Flores, managing member of Athena Digital Media Group, a digital marketing agency, and angel investor Christina Francis, president of Esteem Logic, an information technology consulting and training firm. In each episode, you will meet a new startup founder, hear about their company and where they are now. We then focus on one key challenge facing that entrepreneur, a challenge that is common among startups. Each episode also features a guest expert to weigh in on the challenge. Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded. Welcome to another episode of Get Found, Get Funded. This is your co-host, Christina Francis. It is often said that food is the great equalizer. Indeed, food is an important part of our lives. If you're like me, you may associate certain foods with great memories, experience with friends or family. We stop during the day to decide when to eat, where to eat, and what type of food we want to taste, as my stomach growls right now. (laughs) Sometimes we want a quick meal, but often we desire tasty cuisine that is close to a home-cooked meal as possible. Today, we're gonna talk with Luncha Philip Vang and Elaine Chan Baker. Luncha previously had a career as an engineer but moved to D.C. to pursue his MBA at Georgetown University, Hoya Saxa. It it was during this transition when he began to work on the idea of Foodini, an online restaurant that provides undiscovered talent, immigrant chefs, the opportunity to prepare and sell their unique home recipes to the masses through online delivery and traditional catering. Since beginning operations in October of 2016, Foodini has worked with many different chefs and currently features chefs from Syria, Laos, Iran, and Bangladesh. Budini just recently opened their first food stall at Whole Foods in Foggy Bottom in the DC neighborhood. Elaine is the founder and managing director of Mokcha Ventures, a Washington DC based boutique venture fund that invests in food entrepreneurs, innovative restaurant concepts, and hospitality tech. She founded the venture as a natural outgrowth of her love for eating, drinking, and supporting startups and early stage ventures. Coming from the telecom and tech world, she immersed herself in learning everything about restaurants in the back office of her first investment. Elaine advises and mentors entrepreneurs in all sectors with launching and growing their business. She has been working closely with the James Beard Foundation's Women's Entrepreneurship Program for over two years. Elaine is raising her own creative entrepreneurs, a daughter and two sons, so is continually learning and growing with them. Elaine Anuncha, welcome to the show. We're so great to have you here in studio. Hi. Hi. So, Nungcha, let's start with you. Can you talk a little bit about your journey and particularly your personal motivations that led you to create a business that uses food to create sustainable jobs for immigrant and refugee communities? How how'd you get started? Uh, yeah, that's a that's a great question. Uh, so, I started Foodini not because like when I came to DC, I, I had no intentions of starting my own business. It was very much um, something that really happened because of, because of me moving from uh, my hometown to here. And so just to give a little bit of background, um, so I'm from the Hmong community, which is an ethnic group from Northern Laos. And um, my parents came here as refugees uh, after the Vietnam War. And so when they came here, right, there was a large Southeast Asian Hmong community in Minnesota. So that's where I grew up. I grew up mm. in a refugee community. 
uh, ate amazing, you know, Southeast Asian food my entire life. And then when I moved to DC, like all of that went away because hmm. like, you know, it's just the food isn't as, as readily available around here. And so I was thinking um, two, two, three weeks into school, I was thinking maybe I could knock on some doors, find some aunties or grandmas and try to buy some of their food. And mm. uh, just seemed a little weird at the time to try to do that. But um, so it was really kind of how do I connect? How do we mm -hmm. find these chefs? How do we connect with them? How do we try to purchase some of their food? And so um, that was the, the original kind of moment of like, oh, maybe maybe we can build a business out of this and then I think mm -hmm. what really kind of shifted in my thought and um, was thinking about my own parents stories of you know coming here as refugees they didn't speak English you know didn't have very much education but one of the things they could do was they could they could make their food you know yeah. better than anybody else and so that's really uh, how Fudini started was like there's already a huge population of people that already know how to make this food better than anybody else let's give them a place to be successful to, to grow help them earn a good living, mm -hmm. make money, share their food and their culture with everybody, right? And so that is, you know, how Fudini started, so. So how did you find your first chef for Fudini? Did you knock on doors? <laughs> did you find a grandma? Did you find Yeah, it was, it was very much uh, my friend uh, Chanapa. She runs a really awesome uh, organization called Leg Legacies of War. So they, they work on removing unexploded bombs from Laos. Um, and so... What uh, she was like, hey, I have this amazing woman at the temple, the Lao temple, makes amazing food. Like she might be good for your for Fudini. And it was like, great, let's set up a meeting. And so she set up a meeting at her house. We all met there, uh, and you know, she made this huge spread of food, like mm. six, seven different kinds of dishes. Wow. <laughs> and so, and it's like the first bite I took, it like just transported me back wow. to Minnesota because like Lao food oh, is cool. similar to Hmong food. Was it food. the taste and feeling and emotion around it or what, like describe like that moment when you realize this is what I wanted? It was, it was like, oh, I've been searching for this for the past mm. two years and I finally found it, you know, like mm -hmm. that kind of moment. Because you see, memories. it's a food memory yeah, that gets you re, right. yeah. So you see like the stuff that you remember as a kid, mm -hmm. right? The stuff that she had, she had made, prepared, and then the taste like you know the fish sauce you know like you know, like the ginger and the lemongrass like all those things oh, like just kind of popped and yeah. so for me like that's really yeah so transported, transported absolutely yeah. So wow. when my son came out here to Georgetown, and at the time I was living in San Diego literally every time he would get off the plane coming home he didn't ask me to cook, but he was like, let's go get Mexican food, right? <laughs> um, probably because it's faster and cheaper and easier to do in San Diego and when I moved here I remember looking for chilaquiles and I drove the very first time I, I found chilaquiles. Now I can find them other places, but I've been here, you know, eight years now. I found them in Hyattsville. And I oh, drove over an hour from where we were living at the time in Sterling to Hyattsville to get chila good chilaquiles, Mexican wow. chilaquiles. So I feel you, for are you sure. Gonna, are you going to tell us the place you went to? Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> La Fondita, yeah, it was oh, really, yeah. really good. Great are they, are chilaquiles. Are they still open now? They are. Okay. They are. And I would definitely recommend anybody okay. get good chilaquiles in, in yeah. Hyatt's and La Fondita. Because I, I find Although there are good chilaquiles other places now, too, like Taco Bamba by my house. But anyway. Oh, yeah, Taco Bamba. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. good. So. Yeah. Oh, you guys are making me so hungry. <laughs> so hungry. We're talking about I, food. You know, my impression of the restaurant business is that it's kind of, it's complicated. And so as you were building your idea, how did you decide on a food delivery service as opposed to a full-service restaurant or some other option? Yeah, that was a really uh, big decision when, like, when the, the idea was first starting. Um, you know, right around that time, 2014, I was 
just starting business school, that's when you're right, mm. like Uber was blowing up, that's when Airbnb was blowing up, so all this peer-to-peer stuff was yeah. like really kind of like, you know, taking center stage. And so at first we were actually thinking of just having chefs make food out of their homes, right? But there's a ton of regulations right. around yeah. that. Health right? code. <laughs> but then also, if you're looking at it just product-wise, how do you maintain consistency? That's true. How do you maintain quality? That's really when really it's difficult. attached to right. the food eating name. Definitely. Right. So, the the idea of switching to like a, a central kitchen. So we have a commercial kitchen where all of our chefs come, prepare the mm. food there. You know, it's a central place where everybody can meet, come together. Um, it just made a lot of sense to use that that uh, setup, but then use the online model because that way we are actually able to bring on more chefs, yeah. bring on more people, have a larger impact in the community, right? Be able to have foods from all, all different places because with a brick and mortar, right? There's just limited space. There's limited uh, menu, right? That you can do on a daily basis. So we were looking primarily at like scale and impact as being kind of the drivers of using an online model. I think yeah. that's really smart because um, there are uh, like much higher costs associated with having a restaurant, a standalone place, and you have to do payroll, and you have so labor is a big cost, and so you're able to eliminate some of the unknowns by by creating an on-demand um, option for people. Also, too, I mean, if you're looking at the big picture of um, of scaling. Um, venture, big venture and private equity are looking for concepts that can deliver because they know that in this modern day world, <laughs> people want to just go on their phones, click a button and have something show up on their doorstep in 30 to 30 minutes to 60 minutes. You yeah. know, that that's me. You know, I, I, we were talking earlier while I know how to cook. <laughs> Let me be clear on that. I don't do it every day. And so I use like DoorDash, Grubhub. And if it's available in my area, I, I typically... Uh, order it, but I think the convenience of it, and then knowing that it's going to be really tasty and good for you, and have that emotional feel as well—that's a—that's a seller for me. I want to go back to your business school, and you brought up a very important um, piece about your about your experience. You said you were in business school right when you know Uber, Lyft, Airbnb was just starting. And so how did a lot of that contribute, A, towards your business now today, and also how were you thinking about it while you were in business school? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> I don't know if anybody's ever asked me that before. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it, when you're in business, when, you're in, when I was in school, uh, it was just a lot, of, um, a lot of VC talk all the time, mm. like in business school, right? I mean, they're, it's just constantly like, VC this, VC this, like how much money are you gonna raise? Like how fast are you gonna grow? And and so you just kind of get into this mindset of like, okay, we're gonna scale super fast and we're gonna like, you know, it's really easy, like it's just gonna be all online and you know, everything is gonna work out. And like you don't realize just all the details that go into just making a single delivery yeah. for like one person, right? Uh, especially if you wanna try to do it on demand as well. Um, and so just a lot of being naive, I think, you know, at the time, um, being kind of, um, you know, f falling for the, the lust of like the VC and like getting all yeah. that money and like trying to grow super fast even when you don't even know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, but I think now it's, it's just, it's, I've learned a lot in terms of just, well, first of all, do you need a VC? Right. right. Like, do you need it? Exactly. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. How fast? Well, do you, you need investment too? Right. I mean, sometimes. Do you need investment. Yeah. Right. Can you get away with just debt? I don't know. Maybe you can. Maybe you can't. But uh, 
it's really kind of really there are there are there there are pros and cons to, to how, however whichever funding method you go with right and I think it just depends on the entrepreneur and also what their ultimate goal is so um, I think I, I've just kind of like been much more open to thinking more through like well maybe we don't need VC I don't know like maybe we can get some of our angels and then switch over to debt you know mm -hmm. I don't know but yeah well let's talk about your funding journey then a little bit like so what did you start raising money because it was an expectation or like how did how did you start raising money when was that kind of where was it in the process mm. yeah it's an interesting thing uh i was a part of this uh, incubator called halcyon halcyon okay. incubator mm -hmm. um and so you know it's it's really the incubator is focused on okay how do you build a pitch deck how do you raise money how do you scale which is like fantastic um so it kind of makes you just be in that world all the time, mm -hmm. which can be good or bad, depending on the day. Um, <laughs> but you know, when I got into the incubator, Fudin, we hadn't made a, we hadn't even made a sale. Like mm -hmm. it was just an idea, right? Um, and so for me, it was more of okay, hold on, like don't don't just try to raise money for no reason. Right. Like if you're gonna raise money, you're gonna you you know like what are you gonna spend it on? You right. don't know what you're gonna spend it on, right? And so I think. You know how I, I have approached fundraising up to date is, I will break my back until I realize like I will keep doing something until I realize okay this is what we need money for. Like I will not just be like oh yeah we're gonna you know use a hundred thousand for this mm -hmm. and this and like and if I haven't done it myself yet then like I'm not gonna ask money for it. Right. So like that's that's I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like it's detrimental. Well, you're being, it, you're being purposeful well, yeah. in, in your approach to it. it my, I'm curious, with the current investors that you have, how do you articulate to them when you might need additional funding? Or, like, how, how did that communication work for you? Yeah, so we have one, one main uh, angel investor, uh, and he's been fantastic. I think he's been probably our biggest uh, outside support, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of, like, helping us grow, think strategically. Um, you know, when you're starting out as a founder, you don't think strategy at all, like, because you're just in it, mm. right? You're day to day. You're just like, we got to get the sale out. We got to get this order out. Or we don't have enough ingredients. We don't have enough, you know, something. You're just like running around and you're not thinking like, well, where are we going to be in a year? Yeah. Because if you don't start thinking about that, you you're not going to get there, right? Like, I always just think about like, when you're riding a bike, right? If you don't look where you want to go, like, you're going to crash, mm. right? Right. right? Right. So Great it's analogy. like... So it's like very much like if you're not thinking ahead, then like where are we going to be in 12 months? Then like your company might not be around in two months because you're not thinking ahead, right? So very much so like our, our, our uh, investor has been fantastic and be like take a step back. Where are we going to be in 12 months? How are we going to get there? What's right. the plan? Right, all those things. And so that's been for me the biggest thing is like once you start thinking about fundraising, you, you have to think long-term. You have to think strategically, right? Because if you don't, like, then you shouldn't be raising money. No, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. And I think that the, you have a great investor because he is strategic, a strategic investor and not a vanity investor. And I think that's mm. the tricky part about food is that there's a lot of vanity investment. And then um, because some um, concepts or entrepreneurs really want to raise money so they can grow the way they think they should grow and they take 
bad money yeah. <laughs> or money that doesn't work for in their favor. And so um, I, I think that's fantastic what you've actually thought about. Um, you know, and I think one of the biggest things we always have to keep in mind is big picture. You know, like what is the big picture? You know, because when you're in the weeds every day, it is hard to think about like, oh yeah, does this really actually help me in the long run or is this this in this moment decision? And so sometimes we make emotional decisions um, mm -hmm. because we have to do things. But as long as you have like this clear goal in your head and you have the support around you, I think, you know, there is, you are following a path to success. Well, so how did you identify that first investor? And so you were in Halcyon, you were in an incubator, you, had, you were still at idea stage. When did you take that first investment and how did you find that first investor? Was it through Halcyon? Was it through that network? Was it, was it outside of that network? How did that sure. work? Sure, yeah, let me give you some context, uh, just a little bit of background. So yeah. we started, I started the incubator in uh, September 2016. We, we, so what's great about that incubator is you get like, when we were there, we got a $10,000 stipend mm -hmm. uh, and you got free living for six months. Which makes mm -hmm. a big difference for So a it was literally like just me being like, okay, I can focus 100% mm -hmm. on this business every single day. So that's what I did, I was like. Was it just you or did you have? It was just, I'm a okay. yeah, single founder. Okay. And so for me, it was like, okay, you might as well start the business right now because like you should be doing it right now mm -hmm. because you have all the resources you need right now to, to try to get this off the ground. So we started. Our first sale in October 2016. A month later. Yeah. Wow. So, One month. yeah. So, right, I was just like, okay, how do I do a website? How do I create a website? How do I, you know, how do I do email marketing? Mm -hmm. What do I, how do I, how do I do QuickBooks? How do I, right? Like, you just got to figure yeah. stuff out. <laughs> and then I was like, all right, we're going to do our first sale. I sent out an email to like, all my friends and classmates that still live in the DC area, like, hey, we're launching, like, order some food. All my friends ordered, everybody that's ordered. That's actually a great network. Yeah. yeah. Like, Georgetown University. Yeah. I mean, that's your automatic network. Hoya Saxo, one more time. <laughs> and so we, we started, and then, uh, yeah, we had a great first week. And then a after that, it was just like, you know, it was just flat, oh, right? Because we didn't have any, ca we didn't have any cash to, like, put in marketing. Like I did some some Facebook ads and Instagram ads, but like at that point it's useless because people just scroll through you. Like if they don't know who you are, they're not going to pay attention to any ads that pop up, right? And so we were just uh, we're just like I was just like, what am I doing? Like, should we still be like, should I still be doing this? Like it was like December, right? Mm, and then uh, you know what happened was we sh we found our really kind of core customer group. So I was at church. My chef was taking a month off, so we had no product. And I was like, what are we gonna do? Do we just like shut down? Mm. Or just pray? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's what I did. I went to church. I went to church. I went to church. I went to church and there was a there were two women on stage talking about um, the refugee resettlement work they've been mm. doing in DC with the church. And so I was like, oh my gosh, I need to like tell them what I'm working on and like maybe they can figure out, try to find another chef to join Fudini. Emailed them that day, she like she emailed me back two hours later. Wow. She says, I have the perfect chef for you. Awesome. And then boom, like we connected, we went to her house, we did tasting. Even though we didn't speak the same language, right? Mm. Like we could still communicate through the food. 
because wow. like you just like if it tastes good you're like wow it's so good yeah right? she knows yeah she knows right? <laughs> and so um later on before we, we relaunched in january uh, the church, my church had a, like a, they do these monthly listen and learns where they're like, they'll bring in a family, a refugee family, or just um, a community member, talk about the work that they're doing. And they had our, sh our, our chef uh, tell their story at that event. That night there was maybe 30 people there, right? And when she got done, the lead pastor was like, if you, if you want to order her food, go to foodini.com. Like from that moment, it just like changed everything. Wow. Wow. That's great. So, like, got to give a shout out to my, my church, National Community mm -hmm. Church. They, like, that was, and it made sense, right? Because who's going to care about you yeah. when you're nothing, right? It's people who believe in your mission, who believe in the work that you're doing. And so, from that point on, like, we started to realize, oh, like, you don't need to find a million customers. You just need to find, like, a hundred. Right? Core customers. Yeah. yeah. So, that really kind of just changed things. And then we started to have really, you know, upward growth for those probably the first half of the year. Mm -hmm. Were you still at Halcyon when all this was going on? Um, so we ended, the, the incubator ended in January for us. Mm -hmm. um, and so at that point then I was just renting kitchen space, running the business, you know, doing all that stuff. Um, and then along that path, we had a bunch of great PR. And then July, 18, July 2018 rolled around and we, I, met, I had met our investor through Halcyon. Mm -hmm. So many, many times. He'd come through, talk to me, and, yeah. and uh, you know, he'd come through, and you know, he's like, "Oh, how's it going? Like, what's going on? Like, how are you guys doing?" Um, and then we just, the more I guess, really like, right, like, like they always say, invest, finding investors is like dating, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. You mm -hmm. just talk to them, the, how you doing? You seeing if you're like, if you like what you're they're hearing, vice versa. Do you have the same values? Do you think about things similarly? Um, and so we just had a lot of time just to get to know each other, and then you know, summertime rolled around, and and he swiped right, and he swiped right, yeah. <laughs> and he swiped right, and um, and and so he was like, hey, I'm really interested in investing. Like, let's sit down, talk, talk through some of the details. And at that point, I hadn't even been like actively looking okay. for money, because when we were in in that month, we were breaking even already, That's and so awesome. it wasn't like less I was than like, a year in. I wasn't like. Well, that was probably a year and a half in now. Okay, that's great. But it was just very much like, um, oh, maybe I guess we could take some more money, you know, take some money. But like, you don't realize what you really need until it's like in front of you, mm -hmm. right? And so I was like, oh yeah, because I'm like dying, like I'm literally working 18 hours a day, right? And so, uh, but then also you don't even think about the the level of strategy that. That, that investors might be able to provide to you, right? To take a step back. And so I was like, yeah, I think, yeah, sure, let's take some money. And I think I had to, I was hesitant because, and any, you know, any founder is gonna be hesitant to, to sh sell some other company mm -hmm. to somebody who, you know, they think they know, but may not know really, right? And so I was hesitant uh, to do that. But I think ultimately it was like, we, you got, if you don't, if you don't do this now, like, then your company's not gonna grow. Wait, were you paying yourself um, during the 18 months before you met your investor? I was not paying myself, yeah. That's hard. I was That's not paying myself. Yeah. I was, uh, 
paying everybody, making sure I could pay out, you know, our team. Right, yeah. right. And basically like, oh, there's like $100 left over. Cool. <laughs> like, that's for me. <laughs> but really, you know, like that's, that's the other flip side was like, if we bring on an investor, like it can yeah. actually give me some income, right, mm -hmm. to survive. And so, uh, so we brought him on and it's been great because, you know, to have that second set of ears to work through problems, but then also to have, you know, capital backing is really, really important. Like, um, I think it's sometimes as founders we forget, like, are you trying to grow this company, like, large, or are you not? Because if you're not trying to grow large, then, like, don't worry about VC. But if you are, right. like, you got to raise money. Like, there's, mm -hmm. no, there's no, like, no way working around it. Like, you got to be willing to sell equity to grow your company. And so I think as founders, we... I, I know I get stuck in my head and being like really stingy about like equity, but like in the reality is like the company's not worth anything right now, <laughs> anyways, right? Like equity's equity, but like until you have an exit, the company's not worth anything. Yeah, ten percent right. of a trillion dollars is much better right. than ninety percent of ninety percent of a million dollars. Absolutely. You know, so well, well, so let me ask just one question because I I know we want to talk about kind of your business model and your chefs and all that kind of stuff. But as you were growing, and then as you are right now, at the stage you are in your business, has there been any big pivots? Have you kind of changed direction from where you started to now? Has there been kind of a shift in where you're growing, how you're growing, how you think about growing? Yeah, I think uh, we, I was always very, very stuck on, like, we're going to be an online business, mm -hmm. right? Everything's going to happen online. Um, but then, you know, recently we, we started a partnership with Whole Foods and that just mm -hmm. kind of opened this whole different world up of like retail. Mm -hmm. I think in food, I think retail will, continues to have uh, an important part to play because people still want an experience. People still want to, you know, try things and, and go somewhere and experience something. And so I think the retail aspect is something we're we're really kind of putting a lot of more a lot more resources towards um, and and it's something that just is not it's funny because like I was never thinking like retail retail we got to get into retail but when the opportunity sh you know pops up and you think about the opportunity that that's in front of you like distribution how do you scale how do you scale a business that's online like you you get it like people can say oh it's online anybody can order it Right, but like, really? Like, unless you're Amazon, like that's not gonna happen, right? <laughs> Realistically, right? So it also changed my perspective of like, what is a realistic scalable model for us, right? Mm -hmm. Is it retail? Is it distribution points with different partnerships? Like, that's, that's. Par partnerships work. That's all right, and it's, it's, it's um, and what I've learned, investors are looking for something tangible. Like if you tell them we're just gonna go to every city and expand. Like, yeah. Well, the whole wow. Foods, well the Whole Foods partnership <laughs> right. is really great because it's brand recognition. So, when someone who doesn't know you happens to run into you at a store that they respect, and you know, then they're like, oh well, Whole Foods has partnered with this guy, Foodini, and they're you know a reputable company. So maybe I'll check them out. So I mean, so in some ways, having like these little kiosks all over the country actually helps you to scale much faster. And so you'll start here in at Foggy Bottom, expand a little bit more, and then expand a little bit more, and then you know next thing you know you're all over the Mid Atlantic, 
you know, and your brand recognition carries, you know, and then the online sales continue to grow, but at least you have that tangible experience. When she said you're all over the mid-Atlantic, what did you think about at that moment? Is that part of your vision? Is that still I thought thought she was going to say across the country. Oh. <laughs> no, I'm just yeah. I, I, I was thinking about the way Whole Foods is structured. <laughs> yeah. You're right. You you definitely know that part. Uh, yeah, I think you know from day one, it's always been we're trying to grow this company as largely as possible because we want to have impact across the country. We want to be able to put a spotlight on local chefs and creators across the country, and you know that's what we're about. So yeah, I think you know DC, DMV, mm-hmm. looking at the Mid Atlantic. And growing from there, I think, is, is really, you know, our, our plan. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about the chefs, because that's such a unique part of your business model that makes you different than almost every other restaurant that's out there right now. But in the industry, my understanding is that the turnover is about 70% for chefs. Is that, does that sound about right? It varies, it yeah. Varies. I mean. So how do you identify, source, and then retain your chefs? And is that part of the the vision or are you looking for turnover so that you can bring in more variety? Yeah, I think um, you don't realize how transient the food industry is until you're in it. (laughs) Um, And so just thinking about how do we develop our chefs and retain them and give them a place that they can be successful has been something that has been really important for me and, and our team because, right, like why does somebody stay at a place even if they're getting paid well? Right, there, there has to be something more. Why is somebody, why does somebody get up in the morning besides to make a paycheck, right? If somebody, if you're already making good money, you know, you're always searching for something that, that's more meaningful. Um, and I think for, for us, like we wanna build a culture that is, that is inclusive, but then also allows people to, to be successful. And so for us, when we bring chefs in uh, through the hiring process, we, we look for chefs that are willing to learn that want to grow um, because you know that's a part of joining the Fudini team is is that we're not propping up any one chef mm-hmm. to be like a superstar chef, right? We are much stronger together as a yeah. team, and so you know we do. We're really focusing on how do we help the chefs develop skills. Is there a class that maybe they want to take to improve on something? Um, you know, how do they think about you know food safety, food cleanliness? Because you know we have chefs from all different skill levels, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then also, like, what is your goal? What do you want to be someday? Do you want to be a lead chef teaching other chefs someday? Do you want to be, you know, managing a Whole Foods potential location somewhere, right, where you're running it? And so I think it's really, for me, it's changing the mindset of we used to just think about Fudini as this is a place where you can earn a living, right? You can make a good wage, you know, a good living, uh, support your family. But I think what it's really changed is Foodini is about creating economic mobility, mm. right? Like not just a job, but it's not just an endpoint; it's a starting point. And so mm. I think if we look at it that way, then retaining chefs, retention is, is much stronger mm-hmm. versus uh, I think in sometimes restaurant in the world is what can you do for me today, right? right? I want to bring uh, Elaine in this conversation, even though you've been in on this conversation, you're like our third co-host. <laughs> asking great questions because of your background. Um, There aren't many funds out there that focus solely on restaurants and the food industry. And what factors do you consider as an investor when evaluating a potential opportunity? 
Yeah, so um, I think when I first started the fund Mocha Ventures, um, a lot of people thought I was crazy. Um, but I came from the tech world, and so um, I realized that you know investing in food is really no different than investing in tech, except that food is very tangible. Mm -hmm. And so when you have a very tangible investment, people you know become emotionally attached to it. They can see it, they can feel it, they can go into it. They know the people there, and so when it closes, it is a much like greater loss than. When my app disappears off my phone, I don't even, I go, oh, the app is gone, oh well, they went out of business, no big deal, moving on to the next app. And so, and so, but I really actually felt that if we have to eat, then I need to invest. And so, <laughs> I found a lot of like-minded people that are helping to shape the future of food. You know, so when we invest in a concept, we think about like how does this affect you know our community? Is this good food? Are these good people? And so one of my biggest um, criteria for investment is looking at the founders and the, the team behind them. And so when they have, when the founder makes me feel good, I mean there's a lot of gut feeling in this. Um, then I want to keep pursuing the conversations. You know I want to like meet the rest of the team. I want to eat the food. It has to taste good. I mean that is one of the biggest criteria. Also is the food has to be good. You set um, up a really nice tasting <laughs> environment for yourself. I love it. And so, um, but these are all important things because you know when you're doing a pro forma, right? Projections, mm -hmm. you they lie. Spreadsheets lie, right? You know you can make anyone look profitable on a spreadsheet, but. Um, but the reality is, do I trust that this person is going to do everything in their possible power to return money to the fund or return money to investors in general? Um, do I trust that that person's going to listen mm -hmm. when I have a, a question, a comment, you know, an observation? Um, some people become very standoffish, which is a huge <laughs> signal that this isn't going to work. Um, but you know, the people that actually can listen, analyze you know, think about why I might have said something and then react to it, those are the people I like to work with. You know, it's, um, it's important because um, when there's other people's money involved, you do want to do, you, you have to make good decisions for everybody. And so, and so listening to uh, Nang Cha about, you know, his journey, it's kind of like, oh, I, this is good. Like, and I'm already thinking like, oh, the scaling of this and how does this work and here are the people that you should talk to and like, you know, so this is like one of those things where it gets me excited to have these conversations is to like start thinking about the future. I'm, I am a big picture thinker. I'm not a day-to-day -day in the weeds person, um, but I love thinking about like how do you get from this point to the next point, to the next milestone, to the next funding milestone even. Um, and I mean, it's huge. It's, it's a lot of responsibility. It's really challenging and really hard. Um, so don't give up like, on your hardest day. Just think that tomorrow is another day. Uh, but it's, yeah, why I invest is because I love food. And I know this sector is very risky because we were just talking earlier how the restaurant business, I mean, they, they close, I mean, they open and close within a year or two and, you know, being a chef, I mean, how do you just stay, first of all, stay relevant? And number two, why this sector? Why did you decide to focus on, focus on this sector? So this sector is important to me because, you know, people still have to eat. You know, if we didn't have to eat food, then yeah, I wouldn't be in this sector. I mean, I used to be in telecom, and I was like, oh, I need that phone. So <laughs> that's important to me at that time. Um, you know, it's, it's a challenging sector, and especially since I focus on startups. Um, I take a lot of risk because I need to find people that I believe can actually carry it on to the next level. 
Um, and then that's where I can, I'm happy when a bigger investor comes into a project because that means like I've chosen well mm -hmm. and that everything is, you know, the operator and entrepreneurs are doing what they're supposed to do. And there are rough spots and bumpy patches, um, but you know, it is the food world. So we have to, you know, keep pushing through that. What I've been saying recently is that if you can't make a significant amount of money in your first year as a restaurant, then you're gonna have a hard time after that. Because right now, everyone is looking at the newest, the hottest, the most amazing thing that's been reported on. So in order to stay relevant past year one, you have to keep innovating or you have to actually have built a loyal customer base in that first year. And that's, a, that's just a general thought of mine, um, but this is what I've been seeing recently is that, you know, there's just so much happening in DC that people can't keep up. I can't even keep up. People are like, have you seen this chef? Or have you gone to that? I'm like, no, I have not actually. <laughs> right now, it's just overwhelming. Um, DC is not getting bigger. The population is not that getting, not getting that much bigger, but, um, but the developments are really increasing. And so I think future operators and entrepreneurs need to be mindful of how DC's population density is kind of stagnant right now and to be careful about the deals because it's easy to get emotionally attached to a possible real estate deal like this developer is wooing you it sounds amazing but you have to think about the big picture of like the future um, and once you're no longer the hot restaurant on eaters list of you know of places you should see then what happens next mm -hmm. and also labor is really there's a huge labor issue right now in restaurants because we don't have more people working in, in the industry but we have more restaurants opening, and so, wow. yeah, so labor's actually becoming more expensive, and so, so when you build a culture, like Fudini's building a culture, you know, that, that creates an environment where people want to stay, like, they like the guy, they want to work with the people that are there, everyone has the same goals and visions, and that's what will keep people at a place, because um, money sometimes doesn't matter, people will go from place to place right. to place. And so I think it's really important that the mentorship and the coaching and, you know, making everyone feel like a valued player, you know, in Fudini is, is really good. Okay, so you're a big picture thinker. So Elaine, <laughs> we're going to put you on the spot. Uh-oh. <clears throat> so we've got Nincha here. Yeah. And you're thinking about scale, right? You've already kind of started seeing him in all these Whole Foods. You've been thinking about all these things. Yeah. What does scale look like for a restaurant that wants oh. to go big? that wants to, you know, kind of be a game changer in the restaurant industry, what does this look like for Fudini, for Nuncho? What should he be thinking about? What should he be working on? Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm very interested <laughs> hearing yeah. this answer. Let's, let's get into the nitty gritty. I know this is the yeah. problem. How do we, my how do we my brain around? doesn't and, turn off. Yeah, yeah, and so, I mean, you know, I, I mean, obviously, it, we're not just talking to Fudini. We're talking to all of our listeners. Like, what does this look like in the restaurant industry? But let's use this as a case study, so, right? So yeah. the interesting thing that's happening in the restaurant industry right now is that the what is seen as scalable right now is fast casual. And so because you can open up a lot of places that are smaller, it's, you know, it's, you know, you know, line up, order your food, or do the bowl method, assembly line method. That's what a lot of bigger investors see as scalable because it's hard to scale a, a chef-driven restaurant um, without having a huge team in place. And so, and a chef that, I mean, if you look at Jose Andres, he is a, he's special. He is, he is 
amazing. And so, and he has a team behind him that has been able to do what he is doing. Um, but in general, for like most restaurants, fast casual is the the idea of scalability. Well, didn't, uh, Kava, and which I go there, and you don't. You two, Christina, we both go there a lot. They, they just got a huge investment. I, oh, yeah. I heard. Kava, Sweet Green. I mean, and I mean, all shock. Yeah. Well, I mean, Sweet Green is the billion-dollar valuation. Another Hoya Saxon. Okay, we're going to have to get some Michigan folks on this show. I didn't go to Georgetown, but a lot of my money went to Georgetown. <laughs> but specifically thinking about Fudini, like, in my head, I was thinking, okay, A, podcast. You need to tell the stories of your operators. You know, because when you have the storytelling, um, people feel something. You know, like, think mm -hmm. about, you know, about how you felt when you found um, your first chef and that feeling of like food memories and then just the camaraderie. And I wanna know that. I wanna know what they went through, who they are and you know, why they're doing this today. That to me is like kind of an obvious <laughs> that you should be podcasting. I know you don't have that much time, but now you know a studio here <laughs> that's only down the street from you. So I think this, <laughs> no, pressure. <laughs> no pressure, always bring food. Um, Secondly, there is a future cookbook, right? The stories, you know, the stories oh, wow. and the recipes behind it. Um, so that's part that's of it. Because your brand will help you scale. You know, so as much as we, as much as I dislike social media sometimes, um, but I know social media is really important in the food world because people, you know, can make a decision based on a photo. They can make a decision based on a little caption underneath that photo and they want to know more. So social media for you should be about the storytelling. I mean, you, you could create something that is much bigger and then Foodini becomes a lifestyle brand, you know? Mm. So, you know, mm. so it's not just about the food and the delivery, it's about like the experiences and why it's important. Um, you know, and I think, yeah, following the Whole Foods route with like little kiosks will help you get some brand recognition um, and then opening strategically with Whole Foods, maybe that's a future thing, Anthony. <laughs> um, but that's some, something that you should think about is like, how can you partner with someone to like keep growing together? Um, because I think that these stories are so important. I, I agree. And I have some people I want you to introduce you to. Um, Johanna Mendelson, she teaches conflict cuisine at American University. She's amazing. Oh, yeah, um, she's, uh, she's, she, I met her in Helsinki and she's one of our mentors. Yeah, she's mentors. fantastic. So yeah. those types of people, you know, will help you have different perspectives and will help you, you know, have a bigger outlook, so. I absolutely love all those suggestions. And um, how has social media been important to your business right now? I'm just curious. And I know you do profile some of your um, chefs, because I've been over to Whole Foods and I saw that you put them up. But how have you been using social media to profile some of the chefs that are involved in this endeavor? Yeah, I think uh, probably not as well as I should be. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we, we definitely use it as a way to not to sell, I think it's more of just, um, like you said, like an extension of what we're doing. So like telling the stories of our chefs, you know, when we introduce new dishes, we'll use that as, as the platform to do that. Uh, but then also sharing kind of the insights of like, you know, we'll do stories on, you know, what's it like working in the kitchen or, you know, why a chef likes to make a dish a certain way. And I think, I think we, we could be doing that a lot better. Um, and it's just a matter of like, getting resources to, to be able to do that better. Um, but yeah, I think that's how people consume content now, like in a lot of, in a lot of ways. 
um, and we should definitely be be you know focusing on that more as well as I, the cookbook idea has come up before too and like that's definitely something we definitely want to pursue as well are there systems or back-end stuff I mean you were talking about kind of you learning the the industry from the back end if somebody's in the food industry like Foodini, are there systems or other kinds of infrastructure that you would say, don't forget to really focus on this because a lot of you know restaurant owners do forget this? Or food, you're not a restaurant owner in the, in the typical way, but kind of food businesses. So I think with what, with, with what Foodini is doing, um, to, to instill good practices within with all of your operators, with all of your chefs, to actually help teach them to be good business people. There are millions of great chefs, but only a small percentage of those chefs are actually really good operators. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people think that, oh, I'm a great chef, I can open up my own place. But the bigger picture is that um, to run operations, to pay your rent, to pay your taxes, to, you know, to do everything that you have to do, health code, every, it's, it's so much stuff that if people have an understanding of what it really takes to be an operator in food, then A, we probably will get less like attempts at it and failures, um, but also you'll be able to help build um, other businesses. You know, I mean, there could be the Foodini Fund one day, you know, social impact. Hint, you know, hint, hint. <laughs> <laughs> social impact investment fund that supports these, you know, entrepreneurs. Because, but we know that we can trust that because you've put a program in place, and I know you're you're still like you know kind of hustling. The hustle is real for you, <laughs> but in the future, it's like, well, I've helped to you know train, teach, you know, mentor these entrepreneurs, and now they're ready to go off on their own, and awesome, send them off on their own, but we know that, well, hold on, Nangcha, like, you know, vetted them, he wouldn't invest in them himself unless, you know, he knew that they were gonna be great operators. So, so I think that's really important. I know, like, every day you're just like, you know, we gotta get this out, we gotta get this out, but I think when you're looking at the people, and maybe with your next round of investment, if you take it, um, you might wanna think about how you can build these kinds of programs in there, and I think this is really important because, as an investor, we want to see that it's not just about the food you're delivering, but it's about like, it's about, you know, the future that you're building. And so we want to see big, big future thinking about, you know, how you're dealing with people and the opportunities that you might be able to provide, you know, for especially in the social impact side. Have you seen any what you're what you would call interesting partnerships in the food space outside of kind of the whole foods, but any Interesting partnerships. Mm -hmm. Well, I always see like partnerships that, I mean, like a brand partnership that comes together with a chef, but that doesn't, I mean, to me, the weirdest partnership I ever saw was um, Mark Vetri, Pizzeria Vetri mm -hmm. and Urban Outfitters. I think they, I think that was a while ago, but it was, it was strange to me. It didn't make any sense to me. I think, yeah, stick with the partnerships that make sense, even if someone's <laughs> dangling a bunch of sponsorship money. Um, or you know partnership money, um, you know. The, I was actually I actually was I dropped this idea on someone I met recently about you know an Apple partnership with um, the food world. We'll see. <laughs> I think I randomly throw out ideas to people and see if anything sticks. Um, but yeah, partnerships. It's I mean, 
hotels always have partnership with chefs and you know I think everyone is always trying to find like the next thing that sticks to people right. sticks with people um, but off the top of the head that's uh, <laughs> And so if you want to ask specific questions of Elaine, this would be a great time. I don't want to put you on the spot, but since we're all in studio, which is so rare, we don't yeah. always have everyone in studio. So this is actually a really special show. Yeah, I have a, I have a couple questions, but I think for me where I'm at, where we're at this stage of like, right, you're like hustling and then you're like, oh, no, we have to like actually make this scalable. And like, how do you manage that transition? Because... For me, I'm very used to just like, we gotta get it done, I'm gonna do it, right? Like, it's gotta get done, we're just gonna make it happen. Mm -hmm. Even if we don't do it a way that, in a way that's like efficient or scalable, like, how do, how do I approach that, I guess, so that. So, yeah, I, I totally understand that you, you have to do things in that moment to get it done. Um, because you're already open and operating, the one thing that you have is track record now. And so when you're talking to future investors, you know, we'll want to see um, what you've done, you know, you know, why you've spent the money the way you've spent, you know, what's gone wrong, what's gone right. I think you have to be able to explain your, your financial track record. And, and, then, and then lessons learned from the, the, where there might have been a problem. Um, but but I think, I mean, like, seeing that you are already break-even, like, you are on a good thing, it's like, how do you become profitable? Like, what does it take? Is it just, a, like, a bigger top line? Is it, you know, is it cost-cutting? You know, there's, like, little things that I think you should probably do on a weekly basis just to make sure, you know, like, a sanity check on your finances to make sure that, you know, you're on the right path. And then, you know, maybe set, like, some, like, you know, regular um, um, weekly monthly, quarterly um, check-ins for yourself on your progress. And then maybe set bigger goals of like, okay, and then now we're gonna try to implement this program. How many people do you have working for you that are not like helping you like on the more the administrative side? Yeah, there's uh, like three and a half. Okay, three and a half, okay. Yeah, including myself. So maybe you should get like a Georgetown intern. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I heard they're really good. <laughs> we actually, we do have one. Okay, <laughs> but I think, um, and there's actually a Georgetown program I just heard about it for um, citizens, uh, returning citizens, um, that is helping um, connect, um, like they are, have an entrepreneurial mindset and want to grow, so I mean there's like, there's opportunities that the city provides that you can actually bring in people that, you know, want to do something, you know, in the food space. Um, but Is that the one through the Aspire program? I think so. I okay. just met someone who um, is in the program. Okay, good. And so um, and we can help with the connections. There. You know, I want to see a binder of all your systems and processes. And so it's repeatable. It's in that it makes you scalable. When you have um, repeatable processes that you can hand that binder off to the next group, any city you go into, this is what we do. Fudini does this. And it's all the, the voice of Fudini, you know, is consistent throughout. Um, you know, the experiences for the customers should be the same. You know, when it's your brand, I want, I want Fudini to be that same experience I've had everywhere I go. You know, that's why McDonald's is successful. You know, it's like why everyone strives to, you know, replicate those kinds of successes. Burger King is successful too, and they're bringing the impossible burger. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> the plant-based burger. Just say, just, just say. 
Just saying. And like, take us, I know Christina gave us a lot about your background in the intro, but we, you know, we all met eating, <laughs> eating food at a restaurant, the table. at a table. And Christina and I were just in awe of you. Uh, our friend Kimberly oh, <laughs> Strong brought, uh, Chris, uh, brought Elaine to dinner to meet us. Like she actually planned the whole dinner. And, um, and we learned so much about you and we're like, okay, she has to come on the show. We need to run a show. And you know, at some point we like to do a show just on your background alone. It was just amazing. As we know you, you were at a James Beard Foundation event, am I correct? When yeah, you were so, in town? Yeah, oh, so, wait, oh, I guess when Kimberly was so in town. So I help with the uh, James Beard Women's Entrepreneurial Programs. Mm -hmm. And so owning it is the newest program that is more Entrepreneurship 101. So women in food that have you know, an idea or they've started a business or they're kind of in the, you know, they just want to have a bigger network. The James Beard Foundation has been really great for women to help them provide a greater network of people and access to things that, you know, you would normally not have. Um, and so, and also um, the Women's Entrepreneurial Leadership Program, we've done two years and um, at the end of their week-long boot camp, basically, they have to pitch to a group of investors. And the first year, it was <laughs> it was um, very terrifying for everyone because I only came in the night before, and then I had to be there the next day. And I was like, I'm really the nice person. You can talk to me. You don't have to be scared. The second year, I actually flew in three days early so I could talk to everybody um, and get a, a feel for their businesses and feel for what they're looking for and what they're trying to do. And you know, one of the biggest um, one of the biggest goals for these programs is to get women um, in food to think bigger. We do, you know, visioning workshop. We want you to think bigger because sometimes when we just think about, oh, I can do this. I, I'm a great baker, but you know, is it a lifestyle business? You know, is it a hobby or is it going to be something that can actually be a, something big and great and provide lots of jobs to people and you know, and to move the pendulum a little bit. Right. So, um, so. Yeah, so the James Beard Foundation, it's been really fun working with them. I've met so many great people. Um, the food world is, is crazy. I mean, it's, <laughs> there's highs, lows, so many rock stars in the food world. Right. But at the end of the day, like, you know, where do I go? I go to the place that, you know, I know I'm going to have an amazing meal. I know I'm going to have an amazing experience. The people I trust, the people that are doing the right things for the industry. I have a question. This is more education on my part. So food and beverage. So let's talk about the beverage side of the industry because I, I feel like, and maybe it's just because I, I, let me not say that, because I understand that people buy cocktails and, and mixes and all that. What are you seeing on the beverage side that's growing or changing or interesting? So on the beverage side, there um, a lot of people are starting non-alcoholic beverages. So Seedlip, which is a company based in the UK, they have a non-alcoholic distilled beverage <laughs> and so which I mean it just means it's yeah it's it's like the gin without the alcohol <laughs> yeah. um, so but they've gotten the a taste, but not the, the taste but not the effect exactly um, and so I've heard a couple of pitches for people that are doing non-alcoholic or NA beverages so they can you know be part of that cocktail scene without having um, you know Without you know, having hangovers drink. or <laughs> the dehydration, the, the bad text Silliness. messages at night, <laughs> without the bad decision I mean, making. I, I just heard I've heard stories about that. 
Um, but that is a big market. So, wow. So, so sparkling water, you know, the, the Lacroix of the world, like really made this huge, yeah. like, mm-hmm. you know, they made a huge impact, but then Lacroix not doing very well right now. And so it's like, okay, because it's sparkling water. Right. I've, I've seen hops flavored sparkling water, which That's doesn't so appeal strange. to me. So it's kind of like, beer without being beer and I was like well why are you drinking it I mean I don't like the flavor <laughs> well kombucha is a hot kombucha is really you know, hot we're looking at a bottle right now yeah kombucha is um, really hot it's a really hot you know beverage right now a lot of people are going to it and yeah. drinking it more and people are willing to spend the money on it too oh yeah yeah what I haven't seen yet in DC is like a bar that is specifically like non-alcoholic because someone is trying to come up with, yeah, (laughs) you know, that would be interesting. It would be interesting. I think it has to be some other sort of experience associated Mm -hmm. with that. But, um, but I've seen it in, you know, in the food press, like, that that would be interesting. It would be, you know, but I don't know. I don't know if I'd go. (laughs) Have you thought about featuring mixologists, bartenders, immigrant bartenders at all? As part of a food experience? Um, no, we haven't really. I think um, we've, we've played a little bit in like dessert drinks and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we haven't done anything around like cocktail, mixology, stuff like that. Well, your delivery, so it's. Yeah. 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 Oh, right. And Whole Foods, yeah. Oh, they, they sell they alcohol. Have, yeah, they have alcohol yeah, they in do. some of their. Not, yeah. not the delivery yeah. piece, no. Not yet. But for a pop up dinner, you could always. Yeah, I mean, we've done some cooking classes, we've done stuff like that where we'll try to infuse, like, a drink with, like, a, you know, a flavor profile that's, like, from a, a certain country or something mm-hmm. like that, so we'll, mm-hmm. we'll play around with stuff like that. Oh, we have to keep that in mind for yeah. future events. Yes. Oh, you yeah. should. I love that. You should also work with um, these two women, the Hibba A and Hibba J. They have Blue Noon Gelato, and they're all, they're, one girl is from Pakistan, and the other one is Syrian. And so they've been making gelato with like very specific flavor profiles, you know, of like of South Asia. And so, so, but they would be a great, you know, you know, product to have on your platform. Interesting. Yeah, I have to introduce you to those too. That's why, and that's why you're here. (laughs) That's the whole purpose of the show. Connections. Yeah. So I have one last question for you. Um, And we were talking earlier just about there was a time where you're like, should I just close down? Can you talk about a time where you were ready to give up and what pushed you to continue going forward? If you ever got to that point. Yeah. Never, Georgetown Hoyas never give up. We never, yeah. we never give up. We, we, we never give up. We never give up. <laughs> but sometimes we get close enough and then we have to push ourselves harder. Uh, it's really, it's funny. Like, I wish I could go back and like I should have taken like a bunch of video diaries like in those moments because you really forget all the high like the highs and the lows of the of the the process you would say um but yeah I mean I've definitely had like breakdown moments I think uh I had a moment let's see the first summer it was 2017 summer 2017 I remember like sitting in my car I was like I'd had like I got home at like 11 p.m. and I like called my sister and I was like crying and I was like, mm. I don't, I don't, I don't think I can do this anymore, you know, because I was at that point I had been just basically doing everything, mm-hmm. like I, picking up the chefs to like bring oh, them wow. to the kitchen to work, wow. buying oh, the ingredients every day, mm-hmm. doing the, doing all the deliveries, right, like myself, 
uh, all the marketing, all the packaging, all that stuff. So I was basically doing everything. And, you know, at that point, you're thinking, like, I got this. Like, I can do everything. I can make everything happen. And then you just hit a wall, and you're like, nope, mm -hmm. you just can't do it anymore. Uh, and, and I think I, I called my sister, and I was like, I don't think I can do this anymore. I, should, I think I should just stop. And, and she was like, you're being emotional right now. <laughs> <laughs> Your like, which is okay. Yeah, she's like, which is fine. Like, she let me kind of, you know, kind of blow off some steam. And then she was like, just, just sleep on it. Like, don't think about it. Just take a break. You know, wait till tomorrow. Um, and that's, I think that's honestly what ultimately will make a business successful or not is if you are willing to go through all of the pain, basically. Wow. Right, like, even if you have a great idea, if you are not willing to fight huh. through all the pain, all the ups and downs, it's not gonna be successful, right? Mm. The other flip side is maybe you have a terrible idea, but like, you aren't listening to people tell you like, hey, you should change your thing and go this way or do that way, and you don't, and you don't take it as constructive and you just, you just think people are wrong and you just keep doing what you're doing is like if you are not willing to listen and to work through the problems and fight every single day, like you're not gonna be successful. That I think all, for me that is like, if I see somebody that has grit, like I'm betting on that person, mm -hmm. grit. 100%. Grit, wow. That's yeah. it, that's for me like the one ingredient that I need to see in somebody if they're gonna be successful or not because it gets hard. Mm -hmm. This is not, this is not easy, this is not for people who see you know mark zuckerberg on tv and think oh like oh i can be the next you know like there are sacrifices you make that you can never take get back like mm -hmm. there are sacrifices you have to make personally family wise financially mm -hmm. um and so that was an emotional moment for me the physical moment for me was summer 2018 so actually a year ago from today where we we were just doing so many events like we did like tasting events, we we're doing like festivals, like stuff, like food tents and stuff like that. I remember like we were at this event, the event ended, I was just sitting down, finally like eating some food and then the world just started to like tilt. Wow. So like I was like vertigo, like really bad. And that's never happened to me before. I couldn't even walk to my car, like my car was like 30 feet away. I had to lay in the grass because I couldn't, I couldn't walk. And I had to call my friend and be like, hey, I'm, I, think, I think I have vertigo or like, I don't know what's happening. And she was like, I'm gonna take you to the ER. Mm. And like, in that moment of just laying in the ER bed by myself, yeah. thinking like, how the heck did I get here? Mm. Like, what did it, what brought me to this place? And it was my body just saying, you can't do this anymore, man. Like, you gotta, if you are gonna keep doing it, like your body, like you're gonna die. Like, if you keep doing stuff like and it was just the mentality of just thinking, oh, I'm just going to do everything all the time, like, no matter what. And, like, you know, I'm not, I'm not 23 anymore. Like, I can't, at some point, like, you have to change your methods of how you do work. And that was, like, the physical moment of, like, literally your body just shutting down for me, which was, like, I never thought it would happen, mm -hmm. but it did. Wow. And it really made me switch the way I thought about self-care, right. finding a balance, because if I'm sick and out of it, I'm no good to anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Really, yeah. thank yeah. you very yeah. much. That's incredible. Yeah. That was a... We're glad that you're, you kept moving oh. forward. 
and we're glad that you have a support system around you that can come and pick you up when you're laying in the grass. <laughs> I'm surprised. Was anyone there walking by? No, actually, people were just walking right by. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, he's that's drunk and on the ground. Yeah, it, was, it, was it was like raining too. Oh no! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, people were just yeah. It was you know. And remember, he shared this, and his investor will be listening to this show <laughs> as well. So it takes grit and perseverance and passion. And it really does. The other thing that you mentioned, going to pick up the chefs, that's just an, an, an uh. act of love for the people that work with you and for you. And not a lot of bosses, owners will do that. And so that just speaks volumes to your character and what you're bringing into this industry. Yeah. So thank you yeah. for that. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, and I, I think just showing where you are now, right? Like, I mean, we talked to a lot of founders who would or have given up more of their business to get the money in and may not have been as you know thoughtful, but you've been really thoughtful about the amount of money you brought in and now you're at this break-even point, which is incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. for a founder who really wants to scale and grow and be in this sector. So it's paid off. I think it's really impressive. Yeah, we, definitely, we definitely have been capital efficient. <laughs> That's one way to put it. <laughs> yes. maybe, maybe overly capital. Maybe overly, yes. Yeah. Were you going to say something else before we wrap? No, I was just thinking, like when we have like those times where we feel like we're going to give up, and I've experienced this with um, other entrepreneurs and even my own kids, I'm, and myself, the one thing I've realized is that if sometimes we re reframe the situation that we're able to actually look at it from a different perspective that we weren't able to do in the moment because it's just overwhelming. And so I've, I have a good friend um, who, when I have those challenges where I'm like, I'm gonna, I, I can't do this anymore. She's just like, well, what if you think about it like this? What if, what, what if instead of the story is like this, you reframe it and make it like this and see what that side looks like. And I've been able to get through more challenges in my life just by reframing a situation or reframing the way I'm looking at things to actually find a path to um, so a, a solution, um, a path to success. So. So I can cry and I can't, you know, it's, it's good. We have to let those emotions out because if not, then we will, yeah. we will collapse, will. you know, physically and emotionally. And so I think it's really good that, you know, self-care is part of, you know, you know, your mentality for your company. You know, yeah. that's because these are entrepreneurs that are probably just as stressed, maybe not as stressed as you, but just as stressed about, you know, having this work and by you giving them that, you know, that feeling of like compassion and empathy, it takes people a lot further. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think one thing I saw was that my, my, uh, my, my behavior of just like working way too much, that was trickling down to my, my team members, right? They're like, oh, well, wow. he's not eating lunch. So I'm going to work while I'm not right. Like and then everyone's hangry. Right. And, and like, like, it, it, like you start <laughs> to good. see that you, you are the reflection of your yeah. company's culture. Right. And mm. so how do you not eat lunch when you make food? Exactly. <laughs> I don't know. It just happens. Um, so it was, it was like for me, that we was just eat over here. That's all we do. Just eat. <laughs> but that was really eye opening. It was to see like that, that the, the culture is a reflection of me. And if I want, the culture to be a certain way, I have to start living that way as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and so that was a really eye-opening for me. Um, but then, yeah, the, just the other thing is like, my parents came here as refugees, like from a war-torn country, and like, I'm I'm complaining, 
Yeah. Like, get over it. Like, move on, right? And I think that's something I always try to remember, too. What, what did your parents say when you launched Houdini? My parents, uh, they said, we're happy for you because we you are able to do stuff that we only dreamed about doing. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Like they didn't have the education, the, mm-hmm. the know-how, the cultural understanding mm-hmm. to be able to, to, do, to do what I'm doing right now. Mm-hmm. And so for them, it's like they're just really proud. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then kind of 180, right, is like they came here as refugees and now me, I'm full circle, right, like supporting mm-hmm. refugees as well and immigrants. So it's, it's uh, yeah, I mean, that's why I do it. That's mm-hmm. why I get up every day, so. Yeah. That's a great place to stop. Wow. (laughs) Elaine, where can people find you online if people want to reach out or find out more about what you're investing in? People always find me, (laughs) (laughs) whether I like it or not. Where Um, would you like people to find you? You can, well. um, (laughs) She's like, if you know me, you know. Yeah, actually, actually, I get a lot of cold emails, like, you know, cold, you know, requests and what I would actually prefer people to do if they want to reach out to me is if you send me a LinkedIn request, send me a note saying, hey, I heard you on the Get Found, Get Funded podcast and I want to ask you some questions. I will respond to that. If you send me a blind request, then I usually don't respond because I really want to know, like, why are you reaching out to me? You know, what, you know, like, let's not waste each other's time. Like, I don't know who you are. Um, another thing too is um, if you, um, I mean, social media is one of the best connectors. So on LinkedIn, you'll see who we're connected to. On Facebook, you'll see who we're connected to, and so that helps. Um, but yes, yeah. <laughs> I know that sounds really weird, but um, no, no, I think it's great. And and just to be clear, we're not necessarily saying people can, should be able to access you individually, but maybe a website or something like that. Yeah, so. I have a website, but it's no. LinkedIn. LinkedIn yeah. is the place to find you and a great. personal message. Yeah, okay. personal message. Great. Nuncha, how do you want people to learn more about you and Foodini, and where can they follow up with you? Yeah, just check us out, uh, foodini.com, F-O-O-D-H-I-N-I.com, um, and hit us up on Instagram, DC. Awesome. Well, we had a lot of great insights today. This is really awesome. You were talking, Nuncha, about a business born out of need, right? You needed good food and how to connect and find that food. And we all talked about the emotion that's connected to food in our lives. You really talked about kind of looking at those industry trends, right? Being around when Airbnb was coming up and um, Uber and so forth. And to think about how to create that scale and impact that you wanted in that industry to create an on-demand option for people and you were in business school at the time. So everyone was talking about VC, so it was a nice um, place to incubate. And you were in an incubator. So after, after Georgetown, um, B school, then an incubator, and one of your um, first investors said that they help you think about strategy as a founder, not get lost in the day-to-day. I think we would all agree that um, seeking divine intervention in our businesses or our startups is not a bad way to go and it paid off for you. You gave a shout out to your church, so that's awesome. And just finding people who believe in your mission. You don't need a million customers, you just need a really good core group of customers. Um, we talked a lot about having smart money, so having investors who aren't just vanity investors but can really offer that strategy. And the interesting thing about the food industry is tangible. You can put your hands on it, you can taste it, you can smell it, all that good stuff. Stay relevant, give people what they need. 
Elaine, you gave some really good ideas about how Houdini could scale specifically, including kind of thinking about big picture and systems and processes, repeatable processes that you can hand off. And we close the show thinking about emoting, allowing ourselves to have emotion, discharging them, and then coming at it from a more rested place and viewing self-care as part of the work culture because the culture of the founder flows down to the culture of the company. We talked about reframing and helping get through challenges. And so with that, I will say thank you for joining us today at Get Found, Get Funded. Make sure and check us out online. Our website, getfoundgetfunded.com. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and you can also reach out to all of us on LinkedIn as well. Make sure and check us out. Don't miss an episode. Great. Thank you. Thanks.